Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Um, uh, before I begin, I just would uh, like to pray. So bow with me and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good God. We love you. We are so grateful that you have given us so many wonderful blessings, so many great and glorious things, God, that, that belong to us, that are inheritance in Christ Jesus. We are so grateful for our salvation, so grateful for what Christ has done for us. It's more beautiful to celebrate the Lord's Supper, remembering what Christ has done for us. Lord, now I pray that you would just illuminate your word. God, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It instructs us. It teaches us. It gives us uh, the steps for our path. And so I just pray now for those that are hearing your word today, God, that it would uh, take root in their lives. It would take root in my life. It would continue to bless me, bless these that are here hearing it today. So just bless me as I share this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this year's BBS theme is called Sparks Studio. Created in Christ, designed for God's purpose. And our motto is created, designed, and empowered. That's the points for my message today from Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 is our key passage that the kids will be hearing every night. They'll be challenged to memorize it. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's a beautiful verse. It's one I've thought a lot about over the last month or so. And it makes me think of preparing and getting ready for vacation Bible school as a kid. My mom was almost always, at least in my recollection, the VBS director. So having the mom that had that role in our church growing up, it, it meant some certain things. It meant that, first of all, we got to be the first ones to see um, what was in the VBS kit, which in, usually included a puppet that we got to play with at the house before all the other kids got to see it at the uh, opening and closing assemblies every day. So that was one of my memories from VBS. Another great memory of being a kid from VBS was climbing in to our Chevrolet Impala, which was probably a late 70s model, white, I called it the white tank, that's what I remember it looking like, you know, long, big, huge back seat that all the kids in the neighborhood could pile into and go to church. We did that a lot, Wednesday nights, Sundays, um, but VBS meant we were picking up other kids in the neighborhood, usually uh, some really good friends down the street who also had uh, two boys and a girl. So that's at least six kids counting my family. And sometimes we would pick up their cousins. And one of my favorite places to ride was in the back dash uh, up in the window. Uh, that's a great memory that I have as a kid of going to church, riding in the back glass of, of the, the Impala. I also have great memories of the Kool-Aid that we had at Vacation Bible School and the buttering cookies that we would put on our fingers and bite off. And somewhere along uh, the way, I've been serving here with children for about seven years. We don't serve those anymore. I don't know what happened. Now goldfish is the staple for children's ministry, uh, at least here at Staples Mill. So all great memories of church and vacation Bible school. But, but one of the best things that ever happened to me happened at vacation Bible school. It was probably around 1987, if I have my years correct. Uh, it was between my third and fourth grade years of school. But I heard Miss Susan, our pianist, share at our uh, closing assembly that Friday at the end of Bible school uh, that I was a sinner. I'd heard the gospel many times, but it really hit home that day. 
that I would be something happened to me, I would be separated from a holy and just God because of my sin. And I I don't know for sure if Miss Susan shared from Ephesians two, but I'm assuming she did because she had a gift that she laid uh, up front, uh, a box wrapped as a gift, and was talking about how God's gift of salvation that He wanted us to receive, that we had to open it, that we had to respond to it. And so that Friday. Before lunchtime, I gave my heart to Christ. I trusted in Him as my Lord and Savior. And it was that summer that I know that God began a good work in me. I love Philippians 1, 6 that says, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So God started a work in my heart and my life that day. So next week here at Staples Mill, we will turn our church It will be transformed into a studio. We've had some wonderful volunteers working on decorations. And when kids come into this church next week, it'll look like a studio. A studio, you know, is a place where creative types like artists, architects, people like that um, work. And they let their creative juices flow for the purpose of painting. Or maybe it's designing a building or woodworking, building some furniture, making a film, directors. These people are at work in a studio. And so we know our God is at work on us. Several places in the Old Testament scriptures where uh, the Bible talks about God being the potter. Tell Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house to see what he was doing. Uh, He talks about that and Paul talks about that in Romans 9. So as either the people of God or individuals, we see God as being the master potter who's shaping us and forming us and at work on us. So our lives we can say becomes the place for, uh, of God's studio where he's at work in us. So we prepared and getting, re- I'm getting ready for this week of VBS. It's, it's been my prayer for the children that'll, that will be attending, that they'll discover that it's God who desires to begin a good work in them. And those that who already know him, that they will just grow deeper in their understanding of God's design and his purpose for their lives. And so that, that's our message today as well that I want you to hear from Ephesians 2.10. So let's begin looking at this work. If you, uh, this verse, if you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be in Ephesians 2 and a few other places. But Paul's letter um, to the Ephesians is just a beautiful letter. I'd encourage you um, to just sit down in your mornings during your quiet time or other times when you get along with the Lord. It's a, it's a beautiful book. It can be read in about 20 minutes. So much in it. So many wonderful things. But it's a beautiful summary of the gospel and what its implications should be on our lives and the lives of other people, nations, all of humanity. It's just an amazing book. And this text today is coming at the end of a long thought that Paul has beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 and it ends in verse 10. And it's this, it's that you are his workmanship. The NIV says you are his handiwork. The New Living Translation says you are his masterpiece. It's a great description of our identity in Christ. We are his workmanship. And I want you to leave here today understanding that you are created in Christ Jesus, designed for good works, and empowered to do those things. So this word workmanship, it's only used in one other place in the New Testament, and that's in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. That says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. 
There's the word, workmanship, those things that have been made. So referring to God's creation, people are without excuse. When they look at nature, they see God. It points to him. And so that's where we begin. All of us begin. We have to understand that God is a creator, that he's a designer, that this is all a part of his plan. And so that's one of the essential doctrines that we have as Christians is that God is a creator. And so it's with this descriptor that Paul is wanting the Ephesians to know that they are his workmanship. But in order to truly understand that, we have to go back. We need to go back to these first verses of chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, because that will explain how they became, how these Ephesian believers became God's workmanship and how it was done. And that's true of us. If we are his workmanship, we need to understand these truths too. So look at me, look with me uh, at verse 1, chapter 2 of Ephesians. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So the first big observation from this passage is that we were dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. And as you notice, Paul starts out by saying you, referring to the Ephesians, but he quickly includes we, and that this wrath of God is for all of mankind. So it's a universal, this truth, that everyone's condition, everyone's state, apart from Christ, is that we are spiritually dead. We're not alive. Not walking, not living, not breathing as if God, what God planned and desired for us. And note how we once walked. We once walked in our trespasses, and sin. Paul uses two words. And if you're familiar with no trespassing, you've seen that sign that just simply means a false step, crossing of a known boundary. So if you're walking along, you see no trespassing sign, and you intentionally step across that line, you are, tres you are a trespasser. And Paul here is using that to talk about our, uh, our departure, our deviation from what's good, from what's true, from what's upright, from what's righteous, God's way. And then he uses the word sin, which means simply to miss the mark, to miss God's standard. When we talk about the word sin and see that word in the scripture, it means to miss the mark. So Paul's putting these two words together for us so that we can say all of our sins, anything we've done passively, you know, actively or passively that we've done is what separates us from God and we're, we're dead. Another thing to notice there in verse three is that very important that you and I are condemned. In this state, we are separated from God and will be punished and will be judged for our sin. We're by nature, we are children of wrath. But there's good news. These next four verses, or these next verses beginning with verse four, are such wonderful news. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there's so many wonderful things for us to look at in these verses, but due to time, we'll keep it brief. Those who are his workmanship are saved. That's the theme of these verses. We're saved and it's not by our works. It's by God's grace. An amazing miracle has taken place. Because we know dead people don't come back to life. Unless they're brought back. At least spiritually dead people don't come back to life without Jesus. So verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. Verse 6 talks about us being raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. And this is why it's important to read the entire book and to know what Paul's, the connections that Paul's making. In chapter 1, uh, which is all about God's glory, saving us and uh, making us his own, is, it's all about his glory. But we see him describing the resurrection. And in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, Paul says this, And what is this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? Who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Paul's using almost exact wording that he uses in chapter two that he used here in chapter one in talking about God's resurrection of Jesus. So we, we must make that connection when we're thinking about our salvation. It's by God's power, his resurrection power that you and I are saved. It's a miracle. We know miracles display God's power. That's the reason many times Jesus did miracles, to prove that he was God, to show that he was powerful. So from this passage, we learn that salvation is his work. It is not our work. We can never boast. We can never take credit for anything we do related to our salvation. So a question we can ask ourselves this morning, are you, are we, if we're not in Christ, if you're here today, you should ask that question. Have I been raised? Have I witnessed a miracle? And if you're in Christ and someone ever asks you, have you ever seen a miracle? You can say, yes, I've witnessed a miracle. A miracle has taken place in my life. I was dead and now I'm fully alive in Christ Jesus. Over the years, I've taken... Uh, CPR classes many times as a teacher. They were required every year. And as a coach, I've taken CPR classes. Um, but I always love it when the part when they come to giving us instructions on the AED. If you're familiar with that, that's the um, electronic device. We have one out here in the four-year automatic. Uh, I get the words wrong. But the wonderful news about that is if you forget, like I'm prone to do, that it's 2 and 10 or 2 and 20, how many breaths you're supposed to get and how many times you're supposed to pump. But if there's an AED around, you can grab that thing off the wall. If you come across to a person who's unconscious, who's not breathing, who doesn't have a pulse, you can hook up the AED and let it do the work. And the power that's in that device is supposed to shock that person's heart back into rhythm and get them breathing, conscious, and living again. Uh, to me, that's a, a great illustration of this power that God is 
does in us through Christ Jesus, this resurrection power. So we are a new creation when we are made alive in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So we're created in Christ Jesus. The word here in Ephesians 10 goes on to say that we are created for something. We are designed for something, for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So he, Paul has made it very clear in these verses that preceded verse, uh, verse 10 that works are not what save us. However, verse 10 does tell us his purpose in saving us. It is for good works. So the good works are for his new creation, his workmanship. I love what John Calvin said about salvation. He said, it is faith alone that justifies but faith that justifies can never be alone. In the book of James, he picks up that theme in James chapter 2 when he says, you know, faith without works is dead. And we know that Jesus taught this in John chapter 15, that if we abide in him, we will produce good fruit. And so it is by faith that God saves us, but he has a purpose and a design for us. In eternity past, God designed us to have a faith in him that would move us to do things. Works implies action. It's something we do. And in studying and preparation for this message, I wanted to know, what are those works? You know, and if you're just, you know, reading through this, you might think it's a specific work or a specific calling to ministry or, or something that's um, really specific. And I, I think that's a mistake to do that because you... you you could worry that you missed it. You got, you're doing the wrong thing. Um, but no, I think God certainly uses different callings and different ministries that he's placed us in as a part of our being more like Christ and growing us in our sanctification. And so uh, it's so important to understand what he's, what he's talking about. He's just talked about these things in our old life. And so it contrasts to those things, these good works you know, from what the, the things that we were doing before in our spiritually dead state. And I know this, it relates to our sanctification because I know God's word tells us that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So we can know God's salvation in our lives is his work, but also our sanctification. That's his work too. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a role to play. We don't have a part in it. It's obvious we have to obey Christ's commands. We have to obey what God has commanded us to do. But he is the one who is primarily at work in us. We cooperate with him in our sanctification. I love Philippians chapter 2. It speaks of this. In verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there in that verse, we see God working with us, working together. And so in chapter two, these verses, we see Paul begins with this phrase, in which you once walked. And he's referring to those sins and those trespasses in which we once walked. And he ends this section with then talking about how we should walk in these good works. And so that's just a Hebrew way of saying, or the manner of life 
in which you are living. As you are going, this is how you should, should live. In the, in the rest of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6, give, they give us a lot of instruction on how to live the Christian life. Ways we should walk and ways that we should not walk. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And Paul uses walk several more times. In chapter uh, 4, he uses it in verse 17. In chapter 5, he uses it in verse 2, in verse 8, in verse 15. And I just, one morning in my quiet time, I decided to list out, I was going to list out all the works that I could find that I would identify or classify as works uh, in the book of Ephesians, and it was too many to share today. So here's just a quick sampling from chapter 4. He says, practice humility. That's verse 2. Gentleness and patience are there in verse 2. Maintain unity. Later, he tells us to put off the old self, to renew our minds, to put on the new self. He tells us to practice righteousness. In verse 24, he tells us to practice holiness, to speak truth in love. He tells us to guard our mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. He tells us to be kind. To be forgiving. And that's just, that's just a few in chapter 4. There's more. But all these good works, all these things have a purpose. They have a design. They're there for you to do. So that you will be molded. That you will be shaped. You will be conformed into the image of God's Son. Romans 8.28. We love Romans 8.28. It's a wonderful verse. We love to share it. It's a great verse. And it says, we know for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But verse 29 goes on to say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we continue in these good works until we are mature in Christ. These works are designed for us so that our creator is glorified. Jesus tells us this in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. He says, let your light shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Christian, we're called to evaluate our works, to evaluate what we are doing, what God has designed us to do. So a few questions you can ask yourself after hearing a passage like this. Are my good works conforming me? To Jesus? Are they making me more like Jesus? Are the things that I'm involved in, are they of my design or are they his design? Do my good works or my manner of life benefit other people? Titus 3 8 talks about being devoted, being zealous for good works so that those that do them, they're excellent. They're, they're, the works are excellent and profitable for other people. And in the context of Ephesians, we know that Paul is encouraging these Ephesian believers to build up Christ's church. These ways in which we act are to benefit the church, to benefit other people, to make God known. And so a question you can ask, what's my involvement in advancing God's kingdom through the work of his church? If you are his workmanship, then you will desire these things. You will want to do these good works you can go back to 
verses 1 through 3 and ask yourself, does my manner of living look different than what's laid out here in verses 1 through 3? And you see three things there in these first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 that are controlling or influencing the spiritually dead person. And we know that they can still influence us because in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about putting those things off and he's writing to believers. So we know that these things can creep back into our lives. The influence of the world, the age of this world. Do we value the things that the world values? Are we living for the things that this world values? He talks about the prince of the air, which we know is Satan, that it's a work in the spirit of the sons of disobedience. We don't want to make sure our works, the things that we are doing are influenced by Satan. And then lastly, just our own selfish desires. These passions of our flesh. And we all struggle with those. I, I know I do. So I have to have to be looking constantly at myself. And the best way to do that is, you know, an illustration I think of is I have children and they constantly are needing uh, us to build something or design something or draw something for school. And uh, the first thing I normally do is we'll, we'll pull up a picture uh, from my phone or some other, the internet, and I look at that model uh, before I go. Most recently, it was to draw a cardinal. And so that was the most recent thing that we were working on. And that's hard to do without looking at something. Just I'm not that creative type of a person. But if we want to look at Jesus, he's perfect. He's our greatest example. He's the one we are to mold and, and shape our lives after. We do the things that Jesus was about. Ephesians in chapter 5 tells us this. It says, be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we look to Jesus. Our good works are to be like the works of Jesus, the works of our Father, our Creator, and our Savior. My last point is this. You can't do these good works in your own strength. It won't work. If that's your mindset and you're thinking you can accomplish these things in your own strength, then you'll feel shame, you'll feel guilt. You will not experience the joy that God has purposed for you. We have a part to play, of course. We can't be passive. We have to be obedient to God. But know this, the Holy Spirit has empowered you to walk the Christian life. Back in Galatians, in Paul's words to them, and he had a wonderful passage about the fruit of the Spirit. In chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And be sure you catch it. It doesn't say, but the fruit of the Spirit is dusting. Or fruit of the Spirit is fill in your name. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work that produces these traits in you. And I love Jesus' words. He assured us, he assured his disciples that the Helper would come and do a mighty work in them. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, he says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be with you. So we know we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that here in Ephesians 4, 30. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can, if we're at those works of the past life or popping up in our lives, we're grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, he tells us in verse 18, by doing these things that are the good works that he's prepared for us. We're no longer to walk in these sins and trespasses anymore. We've received a new spirit. So do we walk that way? Does our life reflect a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit? I'll close with this. If you've ever seen a beautiful piece of artwork or been in awe of some building that was designed by someone, you typically ask the question, who made that? Who's the author? Who's the creator? Who's the designer? Now, in all my years of living so far in this Christian life, I've, I've come across people that I just see a beautiful work in them. And it does point me to the creator. And I think about a dear brother here in our church that I met when I first started coming to Staples Mill about 15 years ago. And he was busy doing a lot of wonderful things in the church, different roles. He was doing works that benefited other people. It was advancing God's kingdom. But today, his good work looks very different. His good work has him at home most of the time, caring for a, a wife that's health has declined severely. And when I talk to him, I hear some things. I hear that he's living out the fruit of the Spirit in his life because he is long-suffering. He is practicing self-control. He is making a big sacrifice to love her well. He wouldn't say he's able to do it in his own strength. No. This, this gentleman does it because I know. I know he is God's workmanship. I know he's been created in Christ Jesus. I know he's been designed for good works. And I see the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And I tell my children often, look at him. Watch him. Because he is glorifying our Father in heaven. And that is how you're to live. It's a beautiful thing when God's people are living the way that he's designed them to be. So Christian, I hope you're encouraged today from this message that you are created in Christ Jesus. You're made alive, not of your own power, but of resurrection power. And God's designed you for good works that you should walk in and know that the Holy Spirit will give you everything that you need to walk in it. So let me just encourage you today to think through what Paul has shared here in this, these verses of Ephesians. You, today your move might be to respond. Maybe you know you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never received this gift of salvation. Please talk with me or Pastor Jim or someone else. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. But Christian, it may be for you today to really think about what it is, how you're living your life, this manner of life in which you're living. So let me pray for us as we close.